Hi, friends. Welcome to the Brave Enough Podcast. Grab some coffee, sit back, or enjoy your drive, and let's get authentic, real, and into the good stuff. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut, and I'm so excited to hang out with you today, where we're going to talk about life and work and all the messy stuff in between. So get ready. In episode 35, Sasha interviews OBGYN and entrepreneur, Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins. Now here's your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut. Welcome to the Brave Enough Show. This is Sasha Shilkut, your host, and I'm really excited to have an amazing guest on today. She is a physician and an entrepreneur, and we're going to talk to her in just a minute. But before we get to the show about kind of following your own path and really what it takes to be brave enough and step out into your own mission and passion, I want to answer a question. I got a really interesting email this week from a woman who basically was asking if she should confront someone in the workplace who she's tried to create a relationship with, but this other woman is really um, just shutting every door and actually being fairly rude to her. And so I thought this was a really interesting question because I think it's something that most women probably have dealt with at some point in our life. And that is this whole concept of how do you deal with someone that you feel like you're having conflict with it, you're not really sure how it began. So I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you that this has happened to me several times where I've, uh, you know, I've either felt that I have somehow offended another woman or somehow, um, we just aren't seeing eye to eye or this woman, I just make these stories for myself in my head that, Oh, she must not like me. Um, she must think I'm, you know, not as smart or not as fun or whatever it is. And, and, oftentimes I've asked myself the same question, like, should I just confront this woman? Should I ask her if I did anything wrong? Should I just forget about it? But it's really hard when we work with people to let that interpersonal conflict just kind of go and put it on the back burner. So here's what I would say. I would say that I know for myself, I can confront other people and and keep it really in a good place if I don't have an expectation from that confrontation. Meaning if I, I can tell someone like how I'm feeling, or I can even say like, you know, this really bothers me or this hurts me or this, this confuses me when you act this way. If I have kind of already processed it and I don't have any expectation of that person, but if I go into a confrontation or a difficult or crucial conversation with someone and I have a laundry list of expectations, like I want them to say this, I want them to do this, then I'm probably not prepared to go into that confrontation. So that is how I would answer that question. Sometimes it's good to work through it and work through different scenarios. What if this person says this? What if they do this? What if they get up and storm out? What if they say I've done this? What will my response be? So I try to work through it in my own mind before I go into those difficult and crucial conversations. But now let's get to our guest today. On the show today, I have Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, and she is an OBGYN, and she has her own podcast. She's really an advocate for women, and she has a really cool company that she has started in basically how to provide safe and respectful care to women during labor. And she's, she's kind of gone a different route than your traditional, you know, 
practicing OBGYN. And I can't wait to talk to her today because I have a feeling that how she went about this and the struggles and the barriers that she's overcome are going to be life lessons that all women probably have faced at some point in their life. So welcome to the show, Dr. Rankins. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Um, You know, what do you, what's your average day like? What, you know, why OBGYN? Just tell us a little bit about you so we can get to know you. Sure. So I'm originally born and raised in Hampton, Virginia. Uh, My parents still live in the same house that I grew up in. They've been, they'll celebrate 56 years of marriage this year. Wow. And a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) So I grew up in a very traditional loving household. Uh, I went to undergraduate at Spelman College in North Carolina A&T State University, where I actually did a dual degree major program in mathematics and mechanical engineering. Wow. Yeah. And then so I have um, degrees in both of those. And then in between, it was like uh, three years at one institution, two years at the next. And in between, I spent a year in Kenya. And um, for some reason, that kind of sparked my interest in medicine. I don't know why. I wish I could point to like why I started medicine. I I just can't. But it sort of sparked (laughs) my interest just seeing how healthcare was there. When I came back, decided that I was going to go to medical school. I went to EVMS back home in Norfolk, Virginia, and then did residency at Duke and a two-year research fellowship at UNC Chapel Hill, expecting that I was going to do research. And um, we can get into how I'm no longer doing research. (laughs) Well, first of all, I have to tell you that um, you would be, my father would just be like so enamored with you because he's a mechanical engineer and my entire childhood, he begged me to go into mathematics or mechanical engineering. Like he was like, he would, I would go visit him where he worked and there were no women, obviously. And he was like, Sasha, you can write your ticket because there are no women. Like you could be the first woman to do this and you could be the first woman to do that. And he still laughs because I remember looking at him one point when I was like, I probably was in high school and he, I was at his business and I said, dad, there are just, there's too much polyester here. There's so many polyester pants. <laughs> I can't, these are not my people. And he was like, but, but you're really good at math. Like, and so it was almost right. like a disappointment when I became a physician and not an engineer. He still tells so, me like, you know, you would not have to stay up all night if you were an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> <That's hilarious. laughs> so, so you graduated, obviously you went to a very prestigious academic uh, institution. You're clearly, you are brilliant. You then do a research fellowship for a couple years. How did you find yourself now doing something so vastly different? Yes. So I initially thought that I was going to be in academics. I was going to make a career out of combining patient care and research. And I just always thought that my home and career would be in academics. So I wanted to go back to my medical school just because it was near home and I had a great experience there. So I wrote and I said, you know, can I have a little bit of money? And I wanted to come back and they accepted me back and uh, gave me a little bit of money to start research. But it turns out that I was not very good at it. It just wasn't a good fit for me. And it took me a little bit of time to realize it. So I I worked on research. I was at at EVMS for four years on the faculty, and then I moved to the next institution 
for three years wanting to, you know, thinking if I had more resources, a bigger place, better mentorship, that that was the problem. And it actually wasn't the problem. It's just that doing research in a traditional academic environment was not for me. Okay. And, can we, can we just stop there for a minute? Because, yeah. oh my goodness, you and I need to have like, we, we could, we could have some girl time. Let me just yeah. say that. <laughs> uh, so this is really interesting because I have been on, I have, you know, did research, which a lot of people don't realize about me, but I, I built my career. I built my, the, you know, how I got promoted and and everything was in building education courses and, you know, doing research. And I, and I was, it was really hard for me as a, a woman to come to the realization because I'm such an ambitious person and I want to, I wanted to succeed so bad and I'm not a quitter, but it was really hard for me to come to the realization that my actual passion in life was not clinical research. And Girl, so, tell you, I we mean, we can have some coffee. We yeah. can have some, we, <laughs> I mean, that if you are not telling my story, then I don't know what is. Oh. It is. It is hard to get to that point, but it was starting to really affect so many areas of my life. I mean, like you said, I'm a high achiever. You know, I was AOA in medical school, summa cum laude, you know, all of those things. Mm -hmm. I had all the, 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 the accomplishments. But then it was just, it was finally starting to affect me like, Physically, I was tired. I was, um, you know, arguing with my husband over things. He's like, you got to figure something out. I remember standing in the kitchen one day making coffee and I forgot to put the filter in. And I just stood there staring while coffee was just pouring all over the countertop. And it was like, I don't know what to do. Like, it just felt like I just felt lost. Yeah. I felt really alone. I felt, um... I felt really isolated when I was doing something that I felt like everyone was wanted me to do. And I really wanted to love it, but I just was so lonely. I mean, that's the only word I can really like, I knew that it wasn't what God had put in my heart that I was going to like build my life around, but I desperately wanted to like it, but I was so isolated and I was just exhausted all the time doing it. And I don't want to, I don't want to bash research because that's not what I'm saying here. It's so important that we have women going into, to do research, but I think it's like, it's almost like marrying the wrong person or something (laughs) like you have to come to that realization (laughs) that you're like, you know, when I've, I've had friends that are like, I just realized, or they were in a relationship for a long time with someone like it, this is the wrong thing. And that's the kind of, but it's hard for us to accept it about ourselves, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially when you're a high achieving person. And I don't know about you, if you made the conscious decision to do something different, but for me, the change was kind of forced upon me. Um, I got to a point where at my job and I got called into my chairman's office to discuss that I hadn't been doing research. And I thought it was just going to be like, okay, you'll just be 100% clinical, but still in academics. And I was like, okay, you know, I can see patients. I'm a good clinician. I can deal with that. But then in the course of the conversation, he said that it was actually recommended that you get fired. Whoa. And that like... I mean, slammed me in the chest, you know, as I was saying, like, 
being this highly achieving person than for someone to have that conversation. I was in tears, like straight up, like, you know, bawling in the, like what in the world is happening? And kind of to add insult to injury, the woman, she was in a, I'll say an administrative position within the institution was a black woman and I'm a black woman. So it just felt like another sort of layer of, isn't that so hard when it's, when yeah. it's, and you ought, you, okay. And I just have to say this. I'm so glad that you're being so transparent about this because there are women listening that, I mean, I just, one of my dear friends recently was fired from an institution that she gave like 20 years of her life to, and she was the mm-hmm. only woman. And she didn't even know how to tell people. She was like, I don't even know, like, what do I, how do I even, she was so ashamed and it was clearly like clear sexual discrimination. Okay. Like Mm, no doubt. So this is not, this is not her fault, right? This is nothing, but it's completely out of her control. How, like, how did you pick yourself up? Like what is, what was the next thing you did? Because in medicine, we're always thinking of the next thing. Like we don't plan on that having, getting called in on that. Exactly. So I knew at that point that I said, I can't stay here with this level of uncertainty. I have to find something different. But I had the restriction. My husband and I, we have two girls and they were in school and he's already like followed me around. Like he moved to where I was in residency and my first job and the second job. And he was finally like, look, I love you. I support you. But we're not moving. (laughs) Get it together. Yeah. (laughs) You got to find something around here. And as God or fate would have it, I went to my OBGYN appointment, my like annual checkup. And she was just asking how I was doing. I told her what was going on. And she said, you know what? There's a positioning opening up for a hospitalist position at my hospital. Wow. um, You know, maybe that might be something you you might be interested in. And that just snowballed into where I I am today. So I took this leap that, again, it was kind of forced. Like I had to stay in the area. I needed a job. It was it was very um, scary for me because I always thought I was going to be an academic. Right. Going to now out of academics and into a community hospital. I was going to be a hospitalist, which was, you know, as an OB hospitalist, you're just in the hospital. And there were some some appealing things about it, which turned out to be really appealing. Honestly, I don't mind being out of the office at all. Um, And so just I was pursuing this totally different thing. And thankfully, it worked out. But sometimes you just got to, as the expression says, jump and, you know, the the net will appear. And Mm. it appeared. Yeah. Wow. And but, you know, I would say the net appeared, but you are also very resilient in being open to that, you know, because I think I know for myself, like there are times where I feel like I am punished for being ambitious. Do you ever feel like that? Right. Right. And, and you're like, people have such high expectations of, of women, especially high achieving women. And when we make a mistake or we, or something happens outside of our control, it's like, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like on the megaphone, right? Especially if you're high achieving, because everyone's like, oh my gosh, Sasha messed up or, oh my gosh, Nicole did this, you know? And, and then we just start this cycle of like 
self-shame, beating ourselves up. And it's really hard to be resilient and be like, okay, I made a mistake. I, everybody's, you know, reacting to this, but I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to be, have a a growth mindset and I'm going to pursue the next thing. So how did you do that? Yeah, it's, I think I felt like, um, I couldn't, not do that. Like the pain and discomfort of staying in a place where I was sad and depressed and upset. I I just got tired of that. And I'm like, it was like, I got to do anything different because it has to be better than where I was. Mm -hmm. So I just decided that that was going to be a new fresh start of a clean slate. It helped that the environment that I went into, people were very welcoming and kind. So I think stepping out of academics into a community place helped, but I think you just have to consciously make the decision despite the fear. You know, courage is doing things um, in spite of fear. You're going to have fear. So you just have to do it. And there's no other, you know, no better way to say it, I think. Yes. And, and it doesn't mean that you're not going to, you know, it's, it's funny because it's, it's like, I think sometimes we think like, oh my gosh, I have to choose A or B, A or B. One's right and one's wrong. Well, maybe they're both okay. It's really how you approach it and your attitude. But I think it's, I think it's really interesting because we're actually having at the Brave Enough Conference this year, a panel on should I stay or should I go? Because I think so many times as women, we struggle with this. Like, okay, is it, is it me? Is something wrong with me in my institution? Um, and, or, and I just need to like fix myself or do I need to have the courage to just leave? And I think that a lot of times we do need to leave, but we're so afraid, right? We're so afraid in something, in making another mistake. And it's not like the next place is going to be perfect, right? Or the next, the next um, decision is going to be perfect. Um, we have to just trust ourselves, and we have to have that courage to do it. Like you said, in spite of the fear. Yeah. And you, yeah, things will evolve. I mean, even after I became a hospitalist, I thought that I wanted to Um, I went back to Duke actually and became trained as an integrative health coach because I wanted to learn like a different way. I I think I was kind of missing a way to connect with women on a longer term basis. So I was thinking that I wanted to try being a a health coach and helping women with weight loss and sleep and um, those kinds of things. And I did that training, did that for about a year and failed spectacularly at that. (laughs) 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 only because a lot of it was because I didn't understand things like marketing and it's difficult uh, and it still wasn't exactly the right fit for what I'm truly, truly passionate about, which is helping women in pregnancy and birth. That was being a general health coach was a little bit too broad. So I reset again and I hope people understand like it's a process and sometimes it takes you a little bit to figure out, but you have to keep, you know, be willing to keep changing. So after that, I I started a a blog and I kind of sat back and I said, you know, I like the stuff that I learned from health coaching, this really holistic approach and 
Um, I, I love helping women with pregnancy and birth. Like I love delivering babies. I see some of the problems now that that's all that I do is deliver babies. I see more and more of the problems in our, our system, especially from a community hospital perspective. Mm. That's, yeah, you know, we don't, most babies and I, I, it's hard to explain the difference between um, academics and a community setting. They can be totally different. Right. And I learned, I learned so much about the way care can be different. And the idea for me came up with to start a blog at first, which has now morphed into a, a popular podcast and also to do an online childbirth education class. So I started that as well. I love that. I love that you, you know, I love that you took your journey, took so many different turns. And I think that is very important because I think I think that so many women, especially women who are in professions that are, you know, have require a lot of education, a lot of training, a lot of, a lot of apprenticeships, et cetera, like medicine or being a lawyer or any of those types of professions. We, we just have this kind of thought that we're going to arrive, right? Like when we get through this, when we finish fellowship, when we get our research grant, when we get this promotion, we will have arrived, and then everything will be easy <laughs> and we will be totally content and happy. Right. right? right. And right. I mean, I can tell you, I'm like thinking to myself like all the time. Okay. What, what is it that I really want? Like, what's the, what is, what is my purpose right today? Like, what is my purpose this year? And is something wrong with me that I haven't figured that out? I talk to women all the time who are like, I just don't know what I want to do. I'm like, you know what? Join the human race because probably 90% of people don't, aren't sure if what they're doing is really what they're supposed to be doing. You may love what you do for like three or five years and then you may want to change it. You can do that, you know? So I always try to tell women, like, stop putting so much pressure on yourself to figure it out and just enjoy the journey and the right and the left turn. You know, I, I worked for seven years on one research project that enveloped my NIH grant. And people will say to me like, Oh, are you sad that that kind of was a flop? And I'm thinking to myself, in what definition was that a flop? Like, because I didn't get an R01, like I, or to me, it was a huge success personally, because I grew so much through those seven years. I learned how to write. I learned how to fail. I learned how to speak about something, you know, give talks. I learned how to, how to, um, connect with people outside my institution. I learned like how to have grit. Like I learned how to get rejected over and over and pick myself back up. All of those things are going to be with me until I'm in my eighties or nineties, hopefully, you know? So like you, doing all that you did, I'm sure some people are like, well, why'd you do a research fellowship for two years? But man, that is probably applicable now to what you do in some way or, or form. I'm sure of it, you know, and the lessons. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I, I use that knowledge that I have to like, I am at my core passionate about helping women have both a safe, and fulfilling experience during their pregnancy and birth. I feel like we focus a lot on the safe part, but we don't focus so much in our current maternity care system on the importance of women actually having a fulfilling experience giving Mm. birth. And it's more than just, you should be okay if you and your baby are alive. Right. 
case, want more than that out of your birth experience, um, you know, this is a really critical, and, and I'm going to get on my soapbox, so this is like a really important and special moment for women, and I don't think we've recognized and appreciated how to help them have both a safe experience and be fulfilled in the process, and both, it's possible to have both. Oh, I love um, this. Okay, talk so, about, what do you mean by fulfilled? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of OBGYNs will... Um, poo-poo things like birth plans. I was one of those. I used to roll my eyes at birth plans. Like, oh my God, here we go. <laughs> like express ticket to the OR, you know. <laughs> but now I have a free webinar for women on how to write a good birth plan or how to make a good birth wishes. You know, the first step is throw out the word plan. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but women have wishes about how their birth experience should, you know, want how they want it to go. And that's perfectly reasonable. Like we don't question, this is like a baby that's being born. We don't question that women have ideas about how their wedding goes or how other things go. For some reason, we've mm. taken this area in women's lives and have taken away their ability to have feelings about it or even embarrass, you know, yeah, dismiss their feelings about it. But you're only going to have a baby one, two, maybe three times in your life. Right. So sure, if you want to have music played, that's fine. If you want to have a doula, which is research back shown, a doula support will increase your chances for a vaginal birth, decrease your chances of having a cesarean delivery, um, improve your pain management. So that's research back that having a support person like a doula helps. So if you want to have a doula, if you want to have candles in the room, if you want to have, you know, wear certain things, all of those things are perfectly fine. I feel I need a doula in my life. Like I need, (laughs) I need need someone to be like encouraging me all the time. Like, wouldn't you just love that? Wouldn't you love to be like, Nicole, you can do this. You got this. Like you got this girl. Like you're, you're doing so good. Yes. 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 So I work on, um, providing women with information so they understand their options for pregnancy. But I'm also about evidence-based practice and research. So I do a good job of combining both sides. So preventing, presenting like, here's the medicine side. So if you're low risk and you don't have any problems, then sure, you can not, you can have intermittent monitoring during your labor and that's safe and supported by ACOG support. Those are right. research fact evidence. But if you have like diabetes and high blood pressure and all those things, we need to think of a different approach but we can still consider the things that you want as much as we can to try and make sure we're helping you have the birth that you want. We, we don't put women at the center mm. of birth. So uh, what, like do, why, be. why I have a question. I'm an anesthesiologist, yeah. as you know, sure. now I don't do OB anesthesia very often, right. only if there's like a cardiac problem, but why, I mean, I do, I do read and man, the statistics in the United States for minority women who are pregnant is appalling. Mm-hmm. What is going on? Like, why are we just not seeing, is there such, is it like bias and discrimination on getting care and recognizing symptoms and problems? I mean, what is it that we are missing in medicine? I mean, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing yeah. to me as a physician in the United States that those are our, th- those are our statistics. I'm just embarrassed. Yeah. 
It is. Racism is a part of it. And racism is a loaded word because we think of racism and we think of things like slavery or Jim Crow or that kind of thing. But really, it just means that people are being treated differently based on how they look. Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't be the case that my risk of death and pregnancy is the same. And I'm a college highly educated with a high socioeconomic status. My risk is about the same as uh, a white woman who hasn't graduated from high school. Wow. And so socioeconomics isn't protecting me. My education isn't protecting me. There's something still about our system that black women are exposed to that put them at higher risk. And this is across medicine in general that People of color, their pain tends to be minimized. Right. Um, their concerns aren't as addressed as readily. So those things definitely play into it. Now, that's one piece. But I do have to also recognize that we tend to enter pregnancy less healthy. So obesity, diabetes, hypertension. But instead of just looking and say, we enter pregnancy less healthy, let's take it back a step further and say, why, why? is that the case? Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. What kind of society are we existing and living in that doesn't support or makes it harder for people to yeah. be healthier? Right. So, you know, it's yeah. funny because I just read something yesterday about racism in medicine, and it basically said, you know, it is the story you create about the patient before you've ever met or spoken to them. Exactly. It's usually not this like explicit sort of things. It's usually implicit things that you're not even thinking yes, about. Yes, yes. And then once we talk about it, then you can address it. Right. Yeah. And, okay, so I, I just have to tell you that um, you would have like laughed at me because... I have had four babies and I always had an epidural and everything was great. And I was like, and I'm an anesthesiologist. So I would be like, why are these women just freaking out? Like, what is wrong with them? <laughs> like you get an epidural, it's totally fine. Well, right. then I had my daughter and somehow I slept through the first stage of labor and I woke up and I, my water broke and I was like, oh my gosh. And then I experienced what is called labor pains. <laughs> and I went from like being a normal human being um, to being like an alien coming out of my body. And my husband still tells the story. He's like, it's the only time I was actually ashamed to be with you. Like, I was like, I don't know her. I don't, I don't, I don't, I do not claim her. And I was convinced Nicole, like I was totally convinced. I'd already had kids. Like I'd already had two kids. I was like, I'm dying. Take me to the emergency room. And my husband's like, you're right. not dying. You're in labor. And I was like, no, do right. not take me to OB. You know, do not take me to the OB floor. Take me to the ER. I have ruptured my uterus. Of course, they're like, um, you're in labor. <laughs> so it gave me such an appreciation for labor. Like I now after that, I was like, oh, my gosh, like I do not judge women the same that I did before that where, you know, I always had an epidural early when I was not hardly feeling anything. Yeah. And, you know, I get there and they're like, you're 10 centimeters. You need to get, you know, push this baby out. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not without <laughs> some type of anesthetic. <laughs> that is funny. And that's my thing. I'm all about supporting women wherever they are. So I have women ask me from the car, can I have an epidural ready? And it's like, well, maybe not that soon, but as soon as you get here, yes, we'll get it going. And then other women who are like, don't 
say the word epidural. Right. Like, I don't, you know, so I'm all about supporting women where they are. And the thing is, I think OBs get a bad rap in the press. Some of it is warranted. I mean, I've seen some things, unfortunately, where or heard stories of women getting their cervix checked, their water broken without consent, those type of things. But there are a lot of good, kind, caring, wonderful OBs out there. So I want to be a voice that we do exist and we're here and then also provide information. I love it. I love it. So if there's a listener who knows someone that is pregnant or is pregnant themselves, where can they find you? Where can they follow you? Tell us about your blog and all that good stuff. Yeah, so my podcast is called All About Pregnancy and Birth. And so if you search for that, it's a weekly podcast and I break down topics. I have experts come on who talk about different things in pregnancy and I share women's birth stories because I believe women learn from the stories of other women. So um, all of those three things are part of my podcast. And then my website is ncrcoaching.com. That's my initials, Nicole Calvin Rankin. So ncrcoaching.com. And I have like a couple of free downloadable things. Um, you can get to my podcast from there also. And then Instagram is my favorite social media platform. But I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Nicole Rankins on both of those. Well, this is awesome. This You've just been incredible. And thank you for being so transparent. And thank you for being such a good educator and such a good advocate for women. And I just really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. And I would like to say just one final word. I feel like there's a lot of pressure in a sense in our society that you have to do something different or out of the box, you know, like what I'm doing, I get it. It's a little bit different, a podcast and I have an online child, I forgot to say that I have an online childbirth education class that I'm super proud of. It's called the birth preparation course. That's on my website, but you don't have to do anything except be yourself and follow your own heart when in your own mm-hmm. voice. So if you want to do research and stay in a lab or in whatever environment, if that's what fuels you and makes you happy, please do that. Do not feel pressure that you have to do or be any particular thing. Just be yourself. I love it. That is how you will be happiest. I promise. Oh, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for that wonderful word of wisdom. And I hope all of you are encouraged today from Nicole and what she has taught us. And as always, live brave. This has been an HSG production.